G'day and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we are fortunate enough to be speaking with Michael Johnson from Milburn Kelpie Stud. Milburn. Milburn. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Mick. Michael will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro Plus high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hi, Michael. How are you going? Yeah, good, good. Hello, everybody out there. Sorry, mate. We'll just uh, have a bit of a yarn and a chat during the jingle there. We got carried away in a schoolgirl giggle. So, uh... <laughs> Wonder what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> How was your day, mate? Yes, good. Busy. Yeah. Busy? Always what, busy. What's keeping you busy this time of year? Well, I'm afraid to say spraying weeds at the moment, so nothing exciting, that's for sure. Yep. Yeah, we're meant to be shearing on Thursday, but uh, got kept postponed because, yeah, people are out, got a bit of wet weather, but that happens, so it's one of those years, I'm afraid. Definitely. So yep. you wanna, we'll jump straight into it. Um, yep. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do? Yeah, I can do that. Um, I'm from Cowra, basically, the district of Cowra, a little place called Woodstock. Um, yeah, we've got a farm, about 23Ks out of town. Uh, we run... We run sheep and cattle. There's my farm, or Linda and I, and also my son's got another farm. They all work together, so it's about 4,000 acres all up. Um, Black Angus cattle and a self-replacing flock of merinos concentrate on wool production as well as meat. So we've got a dual-purpose type sheep. And we run around about probably all up breeding stock, about 5,000 ewes plus replacements. And, uh, yeah, that keeps us busy enough with a bit of farming and, as I said, weed control. Everybody's got to do that. So, yep, so that's about it, really. And where did your passion for livestock come from, mate? Oh, look, I was um, very young. I was born in Goulburn and um, my father had a property between um, Obron and Tralga down in the hill country. And, um, yeah, I just sort of, well, I wouldn't say fell in love with it, but... I really enjoyed it at a very young age and found it a challenge. I mean, I found myself drenching sheep when I was 11 and um, and then I got turfed off to boarding school for a few years. But, yeah, because where we lived, there was no – it was very isolated, <clears throat> no buses, no nothing. So, yeah, so I got it, from, got it from the land at a very young age, yeah. How do you use your dogs in your day-to-day -day life these days? Oh, look, they're extremely important as far as I'm concerned. I mean – Dogs to me, uh, you know, I don't know how any stockman can go without a good dog or several good dogs, depending on how big your operation is. Um, yeah, we use them while we're doing stock work. We use them all the time. You, I couldn't do without them. We've got a lot of hill country out the back, so there's no way you can ride a motorbike around it or a horse. It's too steep, a lot of it. So it's up to the dogs to um, get them out of there and drive them on. Oh, still with us there, mate? Might have lost him for a sec there. Should be back in a second. We'll play this out for a couple of moments. Oh, we'll give it a couple of seconds. He should be back. So, Laura, what go. are you looking at, dog? <laughs> it just dropped out for a minute. I don't know why. Goodbye, mate. <laughs> So um, we were talking about your country there being pretty steep and hilly and hard to access. Mate, is there a particular style or type of dog that um, suits you and your work? Yeah, look, I'm, um, I need a dog that's good outside, um, like good outside ability. 
uh, natural ability because a lot of the time you don't see them. Um, we've got steep and undulating country, so we can we can have a you know, variety of dogs if we need be. But I tend not to do that. I tend to try and keep my team pretty much all the same. Um, dogs that can go out, muster. I mean, you know, dogs with a bit of style and a bit of eye outside. And um, the same dog jump in the yards and do the yard work when we get back. So uh, I don't have a big team of dogs. I've only got five. Yeah. And um, mainly, you know, three main working dogs and two bitches. And, um, yeah, so they're expected to do the lot, really, from made it, you know, way to go. Actually, that, that you just mentioned there, um, you got three working dogs and two bitches, and predominantly you, you've been known in uh, in history to have a couple of handy dogs there. Do you prefer to work dogs over bitches, or? Um, uh, yes, I do. Uh, I get on a lot better with dogs, so they're a bit harder headed. So they probably handle my not that I'm temperamental, but they <laughs> handle my voice. I tend to get a bit loud sometimes. Fine bitches can be a little bit softer. Um, I've had some pretty good bitches, but I've also had some extremely good dogs. And for me, um, like my son's got all bitches, but I've got mostly dogs because when I need them, I need them. And if they're on heat or having pups or this or that, or I want to go away to a trial on the weekend, I know I've always got them. So if I've got a good team of dogs to back up weekends and work, they're always there. Yeah. And what makes an extremely good dog, mate? Oh, look, as far as I'm concerned, you've got to have a dog that's uh, got a good nature. Um, he's got to be willing to work for you, um, not against you. Um, he's got to have very good stamina. That's the most important thing. Um, they've got to be able to work, you know, in the hot and the steam and the heat and the cold. Um, yeah. yeah, so they've got to be able to handle all, all different varieties of work. Um, they have to be reasonably strong. And when I say strong, I mean, you know, they've got to have a good walk-up ability and a good effect on their stock. Um, and, yeah, just a good ability to be able to read a mob of sheep, cattle, whatever, themselves um, without having to be told every move they've got to make. Because it's one thing I can't stand is dogs that are directed and if a person doesn't direct them, they don't do it. So they've got to be able to look at it, work a situation out for themselves whether you be coming down out of the hills or through sapling thistles or across a creek or you obviously tell them to stop and stay and those sorts of things. But um, I just like to see a dog working with me and, um, yeah, doing what a dog should do, basically, with brains, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so that's about it, really. Very cool. We've got another question here. You got one, yep. Laura? Um. Who and what was your who who and what breed was your first dog? Um, look, the first the first dog I I had station bred kelpies um, when I was a young fella when I worked out at Ningen and different places. Um, yeah, I've had all sorts of dogs. Had a hundredway kelpie cross. <laughs> yeah. that was a bit weird. I had a hundredway collie cross, and I had there. But the first main dog I would say was I decided to buy a dog off Noonborough Kelpie stud 30-odd years ago. It was a good ad in the paper, and I went over and I bought this pup. And uh, look, I yes, I mean, he was a great dog. I never looked back. But the best dog I've ever had was a dog called Milburn Basil. Um, he, yeah, he was bred by Phil's Creek Sam out of Capri Misty. And he was, um, yeah, 
he was just brilliant dog. Yeah. Do you want to tell us more about Basil? Yeah. yeah, look, Basil was a dog that was very, very handy at home. He started like he was backing up into a shearing shed at five months old and you know, leaving the other dogs behind sort of thing. Um, he was a great dog on out paddock work. He was a great dog in the yards. He had a really good free bark when you asked for it. Um, he was a great backing dog. It, like I said, he was good in the paddock. He was smart. He was an excellent trial dog. We used to do yard dog trials with him a lot. I mean, he he was a dog that could jump into a set of sheep yards, whether it be at the Bathurst trial. They're always really tough down there, big merino weathers back in those days. Or he could be out at Ningen and he'd jump into trial on Sean weathers that are real flighty. And he was a dog. He was sort of he's a very smart dog. He'd jump in the yards. Before it didn't start to work, he'd ready stock and he'd, he'd just work appropriately. And I had to say very little to him. Sometimes I had to yell at him to stop because he had a fair bit in him sometimes, but better that than trying to start him. <laughs> yeah, so he was a yeah, he was a brilliant dog. And his progeny have been very, very good dogs. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he didn't breed on real good, eh? He had a son there called um Buster. Yeah, or Buster. He's yeah, he was Basil's son. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was right there with Basil. I mean Basil was an old dog when Buster came along and he had another son called Rex, actually. And yeah. if Basil wasn't there, Rex would have been up there. But poor old Rex always got uh, knocked out of... Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. But but Buster, yeah, look, he stepped into his own. He was a young pup. I think he, by memory, I think he won his first novice trial at the Australian Championships at 12 months old. I yeah. mean, yeah, so he was a dog that was... A different type of dog to what Basil was. Buster was a very strong dog. Um, like you take on cattle, he, you know, nothing could back him off. He wouldn't back off anything. Um, very keen, very biddable, very good mate. Um, and uh, as far as his station work was concerned, it was second to none. And he himself produced a hell of a lot of good pups too. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've had a bit of a bit of a lend of you there before, but um, <laughs> not like me anytime, is it? No, it's all good. <laughs> you mentioned there before about Basil rating his stock, you know, whether you went out to um, Bathurst or Ningen. Yeah. Um, you, obviously, you're standing around with your dog before you enter a trial. Do you think your dogs are assessing the sheep as they're coming out? Look, I do. I think you don't want to be rude, but the better end of the dogs um, definitely um can assess what's in front of them um there's two types of dogs these days like very different to when i started there's two types of dogs these days there's dogs that have got that you know obedience and natural ability and you know that worth ethic and there's another type of dog out there these days that's very very well trained very obedient and very responsive to command um, I prefer the first rather than the second because I very rarely talk to my dogs when I'm working at home. Yeah. I, I don't want to be telling them every move they've got to make, so I tend to shut up and leave them to it and correct them if something goes wrong. But, yeah, no, they definitely can assess assess stock, especially after they're cast on pickup and that sort of stuff when they assess them. And, yeah, good dogs be able to sort of they'll either give them a bit of room or they know to come in harder or, yeah, but... Um, there's not a lot of them about that do that, I might add, but they're the you know the very good ones do, yeah. What does this um what makes a good sheepdog for you? 
Um, yeah, basically what I've spoken about. I mean, a good sheepdog to me is um, a dog that is willing to work to start with. I mean, he's got a very good worth ethic. Um, he's got to have brains. And like we said before, that natural ability that comes out of them as pups. I like pups. I call it natural ability. Um, some people like dogs that have got trainability. But um, I like to put a pup on the ground when they're 12 weeks old and, like, nine times out of ten, you can pick them. Like, you can just, you know, go, wow, look at that, those two over there compared with the rest of the litter. I mean, yeah. so if they've got that real nice natural ability, a nice bit of eye out in the paddock and the ability to be able to come in and force when you ask them to because we've got a lot of creeks here and they've got to shove them through water, especially the last couple of years. It's been a bit of a nightmare. But um, they've got to be able to force and, you know, and then get back out off their stock and block and hold and, and, um, and be keen. Like, they've got to want to please you. And the dogs that will step up and please you every time is, yeah, they're the ones that are my mates. I give them a pat on the head every night when I put them away. So, yeah, you know, they're there for you. Do you find it not – or do you find it hard not having expectations at 12 weeks old or, you know, when you put that little pup on the ground? Oh, we've lost him again. So, Laura, what do you like about your um, your dogs? What do you like in a dog yourself? When they don't have your breeding. Yeah, well, <laughs> this, is, this is true. It's in the head as I am. No, no. That's all right. We'll, uh, Should be back in a second. We'll get Michael back here. I was planning that one. I oh, know, that was pretty soon. You've been waiting for that one for weeks. Just had to have a dig. <laughs> See how uh, how Mick goes here. If uh, everyone can bear with us for a minute. <coughs> what do you like in a dog, then, Daniel? Me, um, I kind of my what I like in a dog is changed a little. Um, I used to like those ones that were full noise and go go go. But we're I'm back. A bit more stable <laughs> now. What's happening? That's all right. Uh, we're talking about what we like in dogs <laughs> while we're waiting for you. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I don't. Know I said I... anything without my prefix in it. <laughs> Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. uh, so, oh yeah, we're talking about um, um, having preconceived um, ideas or expectations on a part when you put it on the ground for the first time. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, I must admit, like putting pups on the ground for the first time, I love it. It's quite exciting, actually. I, that's I get the biggest thrill out of you know, mucking around with young pups and that type of thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I just. Uh, I don't go out there with any preconceived ideas. I'm always open-minded about it. A lot of the time... We've lost. just lost your speaker, mate. I don't think you can hear us. We can't hear you. There, there we go. go. Can you hear me now? Gotcha. I can't hear you, but anyway. Yeah, basically the pups I want to keep, I find out um, I pick them before they even hit sheep. Like I really like those pups that are really up front and, um, you know, I walk in the pen and I like my pups to be, you know, come to the gate at 100 mile an hour to say good day. I don't like those little fellas that sneak off and hide in the background somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I really do pick my pups before I even hit the sheep, just on per, just on personality. So um, yeah, it's when I put them on the sheep, 
I just like to see those little fellas that got that natural breakout, you know, that good ability to be able to, um, like, grip their stock. And, you know, if it doesn't work the first time and they don't do anything, I just give them another chance in another couple of weeks and you'll find, like, you might have a litter of eight pups, five or six might go on the first day and the other two you think, oh, what's wrong with them? But nothing wrong with them. They're just a bit slower to develop. So, yeah, and uh, quite most of the time they're pretty good too. Chris Egan's asked Hang a question. I cannot hear a word you're saying. That's all right. Is yours off? No. Now you're off. <laughs> Can't hear you, mate. Can you hear me now? Got yeah. you now. Can you hear us? I can't hear you. Your mic must be muted. You have to turn the volume up, maybe. I think you got a phone call before. Oh, do you have to turn the volume up? Nope. Yeah, I can write a chat. I said, we'll send you a quick message. Everything's a go here. You there still? Yeah. Yep. I can't hear you. I'm sorry. I don't know what's happening. That's all right. We might just. I've got everything turned up on the phone. Put the jingle on and give him a call. Yep. Yeah. We'll give you a bell. Um. <laughs> get on the phone. <laughs> ring you. Yeah. Again, oh, have, so, you got us? have you got us? Yeah, I've got you now. There we go. Don't know what happened there. That's all right. I'm we not might very have a technical. You, if that's okay, that's why I work dogs and not computers. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll jump into it again. Chris yep. Egan's asked when you said Basil was early to start and backing into the shearing shed at five months old. Um, did you just go on with that and get him out and work out and to work? when the time was right, or did you see what you liked and waited until he was a bit older? No, listen, yeah, I I never get serious with him at five months old. It's not a you know, matter of saying, oh, wow, look at that, I'm going to use him all the time. 
so I, I saw what I liked and then I, I didn't put him away because um, I do a lot of station work when the opportunity was there to give him the work I gave it to him and um, he was another dog like he won his first open trial at 12 months old so I mean he was you know he was a bit of a freak in that regards but um, you know I use them in the paddock when they're young um, and I'll also well back then I did not so much anymore. I tend to give them, let them grow up a bit more these days, um, mainly because I probably don't get time to do enough with them. Um, but, yeah, look, he was a dog that was just um, a freak of nature. And, you know, he would run a three-sheep trial. Like, he he did well out in the Classic at Ningen when they used to have it, which is a combination of the yard and the three-sheep. I mean, he got third in the National Kelpie trial. He won the Australian you know, Championships. Um, so yeah, he was good everywhere, not just in one particular place. And that was him. I mean, and he stayed that way and it wasn't through training. It was just how he was. Pretty balanced all around. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was balanced. He was a dog that you could pretty much do anything with. He'd work cattle. Wasn't the strongest dog in the world on cattle, but he'd know his bite and he'd certainly hold his ground. Um, but, um, yeah, he, he was a yeah, just one of those dogs. I always had a few discussions with different people over the years and people tend to think that they can breed champions and I made the comment one day, didn't go down that well, but anyway, <laughs> I made the comment one day that champions are born, not bred. I mean, your breeding goes towards it, but then you end up with those pups that are just freakishly good and, um, yeah, and they're born that way. They're not bred that way. If we could breed them that way, they'd all be like that. So that's what my yeah. parents said when they had me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So yeah, so that's the story. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, Damon, uh, Damon Hunt has asked here, um, mate, what's your opinion of yellow dogs um, working stock? Uh, look, I personally wouldn't have one a yellow dog. That's not to say that they're no good. Um, I've seen some pretty good yellow dogs in the day. Um, preferably the ginger, not so much the white, creamy fellas. Mm-hmm. Um, but they must have dark eyes and a dark nose, like dark pigment. Um, but, yeah, look, um, I've found here, particularly in this climate, and this not so much climate, this part of the world where we do a lot of stock work and the sheep come in and out of the yards a fair bit through the year, I found with yellow dogs here, I, could, I got one one day and I cast it up the paddock and the sheep went to it rather than the dog come to them like yeah. so if they're going to be yellow they got to have a lot in them because they're going to have to do a lot more work than the average black and tan or dark red you know, dark colored dogs would be black black and tan red whatever yeah sometimes that that dark or that those black and tan or black dog just the presence of looking at them gives off a lot more than uh, a yellow dog or even a red and tan dog with a that will stand there with a bit of it has to work like you said, that coloured dog has to stand there and actually move forward and want to show what it's got, right? Oh, it's done it again. <laughs> it's gone. I reckon it's about to say yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Think what you want, Daniel. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, what? yeah, I don't know. I've got full bars. I've got full reception. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. There's one yeah. of those nights, mate. I don't think yeah. the weather helps, so. <laughs> no, that's true too. 
But that's all right. Um, mate, we've got a few questions here, so we'll, we'll pump through them. Uh, yep. Matt Haig has asked, what is your opinion on coat slash eye colouring Kelpies? She's heard many different views on this and find it an interesting topic. She's asking, do you believe that some dogs with brighter eyes and lighter coat colours can tend to draw stock to them more or tend to be more likely to cause conflict with sheep over a darker coloured dog with dark eyes? And do you feel that a black and tan dog is more susceptible to overheating than a red and tan or lighter coloured dogs due to their colour? Uh, right, well, let's deal with the eyes first. Um, eyes to me, I prefer a dark brown or a sort of a dark, very dark pigmentated eye um, in a dog, personal preference, I think. I've had dogs with <clears throat> brighter eyes. I had no problems with them whatsoever. Um, I think I don't like Kelpies with those real blue eyes. I've always found that they're um, fairly temperamental and they've got soft, real soft, sooky natures. Um, whether that's just, can you hear me still? Yeah. So whether that's just an indication of whether they're um, you disappeared again. I'll give it five. See what happens. Thank Here we go. Can you hear us, mate? Yeah, I can. Yep. No worries. We're just having a few Did you get any issues. of that? Or? Let's turn this one off, you reckon? Yeah, just exit out. Yeah. Exit out. Exit out. Exit out. Exit out. Okay, here we go. Let me turn my volume up. There. We just had a storm cut in here and everything went bang. Yeah, yeah. Before the holiday went pop. <laughs> yep, yep. All good. So you were talking about <laughs> eye colour there. Yeah. Um, yeah, going back to the eye colour, like I said, dark eyes are preferred. If you've got a black and tan dog with dark, dark sort of browny yellow eyes, that's fine. doesn't worry me. Um, light blue eyes, I don't like them. Um, it does tend to, um, well, bad natures tend to run with those real light-eyed dogs. They tend to be a bit temperamental and a bit stocky. Um, as far as stock are concerned, definitely um, darker-eyed dog tends to be able to sort of have a bit more presence than what the lighter-eyed dogs do. Yeah. Um, as far as colour's concerned, there's an old saying that we probably all know, that no good dog is a bad colour. Um, if they're a good dog, they're a good dog. It doesn't matter if they're yellow, black and tan, red, whatever. But as far as heat is concerned, it doesn't matter what colour they are, um, whether they're black and tan, red and tan, creamies, whatever. It's all in the stamina of the dog. It's not in the colour. They all get just as hot as one another. Um, obviously, a black dog may get a little bit um, hotter than red and tans, but I've never found it to be indifferent to that. I mean, I think it all depends on how 
the dog's attitude and his stamina and his, you know, whether he carries himself in the heat. So um, as far as colour's concerned, I don't think it matters what colour dog you got. Um, but as far as stock are concerned, a black dog, a jet black dog, um, yes. has a very good effect on his stock. I've had a number of black jet dogs in my, the black, black dogs in my life, mm -hmm. uh, not recently, but before. And I know that some of them were fairly soft dogs. Um, a couple of them are hard as rocks, but some of them are soft. And they got a they got away with blue murder because they just yeah stock just flowed off them. So yeah, um, yeah. So it sort of says it itself. I find that even um, in real life, in the you know, stock industry, in the yards, and that type of stuff, you'll see different coloured dogs jump in, and it all depends on the effect. They've got presence. They've got a bit of presence, or they haven't got any presence. And um, yeah, when they hop in the back of those yards and the sheep go, holy hell, what's here? And they all move off it. Yeah. Those sort of dogs don't have to do anywhere near as much work as the ones that jump in the yard and start barking their brains out because they're scared. So, yeah. Just while we're talking there about um, dogs getting hot, do you yep. think that, um, well, what's your opinion on dogs getting hot over more mental stimulation than physical? Yeah, look, that's very true. I mean, if you've got a dog that's calm in the head and he's um you know a good calm worker um he'll going to last a lot longer than the dog that's real fizzy in the head and you know can't help himself and he goes flat out at 100 mile an hour left right and center i mean so yeah their mental their mental um capacity to be able to you know keep themselves calm um yeah is a big plus as far as i'm concerned because they will work yeah, a lot, lot, lot longer, and they will sustain work over a lot bigger, longer period of time than what those real busy-minded dogs do. Yep. Um, Kane Gardner's asked, yep. "Who did you get along with better, Basil or Buster? And which one did you prefer to work and trial? And in your opinion, who bred on better?" Oh hell, that's a that's a really good question, actually, <laughs> but. I'd have to say to him, I'm sorry, I can't pick between the two. Look, when you look back through pedigrees and stuff like that, not that that's any indication, but, I mean, they both bred a lot of good dogs in their day. And um, as far as working, who would I prefer to work? Probably I would have, if I was at a trial, I'd definitely say Basil um, because he was just a you know, pleasure to work. Everything I asked him for, he did. Buster was a bit harder, so it was a bit harder work for me than what it was with Basil. But in saying that, he, you know, he won a lot of trials and did a lot of good work. And as far as home's concerned, I mean, both of them were just as good as one another. Had different attributes, but just as good as one another. Yep. Mark Mangal has asked, do you or do you know of... Um, you, some good young upcoming dogs that are around at the moment that you'd like to talk about or you've noticed? Um, look, I haven't been about enough for the last few years to make comment on that one, to be honest. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of good young dogs out there. There's no doubt about that. But um, I've only been to half a dozen places over the last few years. And yeah. I always say to people, and I think it's pretty important, never assess a dog at a dog trial. Um, like if you want to know how good a dog is, you ask the person that owns him 
whether he can whether you can go out to his farm place whatever it may be and have a look at that dog work because dog trials aren't bees all ends all to good dogs i mean there's some um, dogs out there that look pretty pretty at dog trials and um, get them in a work situation they probably can't pull the top off a custard so you've got to take them are in a work situation because this is where we're coming undone yeah. in the dog in, in the dog world is that there's too many people breeding from dogs that can trial really well and i mean that's all good and well i mean but you don't want to be breeding dogs for trialing you want to be breeding dogs that are really good work dogs and any good dog that's a top station dog can go out and do a trial but there's very few top trial dogs that could go out and do a really good job on the station. So it's, this is where it's changed over the last 30 years, where it's chalk and cheese. I mean, <clears throat> 30 years ago, we'd rock up to a dog trial and uh, your work dogs would be the ones that would be in the final, where these days your, well, to put it politely, your trained dogs and the dogs that can move around and do exactly what they're told when they're told to do it um, are the dogs that are coming out on top in trials because trials now are a points a point saving exercise. We're having a fantastic night with service tonight. Service and weather, join them together. Right, it's a bit right. harder than joining dogs together, obviously. <laughs> Give it a second. We can't blame Telstra when dogs don't work though. <laughs> we'll give him a sec, he'll, uh, he'll bounce back on. If anyone's got any more questions, just pop them through and we'll get to them. This is awkward. <laughs> nah, it's all right. What do you do? Technology, right? I think we don't talk to each other. Ah, that's all cool. <laughs> What have we got here? There we, we go. go. We know that sound. Yeah, yeah. Not having much luck, are we? No. no. it's okay. What do you do? Yeah, not much. <laughs> yeah, so like I was saying, I mean, yeah, where were we? We were talking about dogs, yeah, trialling and station work and young dogs. Yeah, look, I couldn't really say what's out there at the moment. I haven't seen anything like, that's really tickle the fancy as you could say um yes. but i'm sure there's plenty out there and i've got a young team at the moment coming along and they're a very strong breed back to old basil and buster um and yeah there's some very good dogs in them at the moment but uh, time will tell they're very good here um but we yeah, see how we go when we get in the trial ring one day but they they had two goes and they both got 83 so that's all i can ask for Beautiful. Yeah. So just before we go, um, obviously your dogs were pretty influential um, in a lot of Kelpie breeds, but when you were coming through, was there a dog prior to, you know, Basil and Buster that you went, oh, wow? Yes. Yeah, there was. There's dog, Buster's father, Phil's Creek, Sam, um, he was an exceptionally good dog. Um obviously once again he bred a lot of good dogs um i didn't never get i never got to saw baron bogey mac or old baron bogey chance and those ones i believe they were pretty good dogs um but uh pat was a dog that would very similar to but buster uh, basil i should say he was he could work a three sheep trial 
jump in the yard dog trial and he you know worked do work at home and he was yeah pretty special sort of a dog he had a lot of nice stuff in him and a lot of brains and all that to go with it and went back to a lot of old lines old Holton lines and a bit of Adam part and that sort of stuff but yeah Capri Watch was another good dog I really liked him in the yards he was a very good yard dog um yeah and then Bar uh, Capri Badge was Watch's brother yeah and, um he was an exceptional dog and by gee did he have some work in him yeah he uh he was a cracker cool uh, Laura, do you want to go yeah, question here from Tracy Huxtable. Yep. When you uh, when do you decide that a dog or bitch is worth breeding with? Is there an age limit on that, or do you just give them time to mature? Ah, uh, look. Uh, once again, yes, there is an age limit on it. I mean, you can't keep looking at a dog forever, trying to make your mind up whether it's worth breeding from. It's got to start off. It's got to start off well. I really like bitches, dogs, doesn't matter what they are as pups, as if they start to work or when they start to work, hopefully, you know, they're having a bit of a chase at 16 weeks old. And by the time they're 18 months old, like a couple of them I got here now, I can go out there and do anything with them. Um, yeah, that's when I start to think, well, you know, this dog's got a fair bit to it. It's probably worth breeding from. Um, it's got to have all the right attributes, obviously. But yeah, look, if they're not going, I just don't sit there and wait till they're two year old thinking they're going to come good because the last thing I want to do is breed from or sell a person, farmer, whether whatever it may be, a pup, and he's still waiting for it to start work at 12 months old because that's the best way to, you know, to give yourself a bad name. So you want something that'll start reasonably early, start showing signs. And once they start to work, it's pretty important that those dogs just gradually keep getting better. Don't have any big backward steps. Yeah. Just on that and starting, uh, Mark England has asked, do you think the size of a dog makes much difference? Um, look, size is a funny thing. I mean, different size dogs suit different areas in Australia, or I mean, all around the world for that matter. I mean, a lot of you, you know, blokes that are right out west working in a lot of hot country and big acreages and do big miles probably prefer the, not so much the small dogs, but dogs that are leaner, leggier and, you know, more athletic, um, whereby people down, um, you know, in the mountains and that sort of stuff can probably have a bigger dog that's a bit heavier set because um, he's, you know, he, he's out west, he's going to feel the heat. He's going to do the miles and wear himself out. But so size does matter, no doubt about it. Um, but there's horses for courses and same thing with size. Just depends what you want and what you're doing and where you're working. And, yeah, it all comes into it. So I think it's a personal preference, really. Yeah. Amanda Dunbar's asks, do you – do you have something? Oh, Amanda Dunbar asks, <laughs> Do you find much difference in the trainability of a bitch over a dog or either easier than the other or do either mature more quickly? Um, look, no, not really. I don't have preference over one or the other. Train, training one or the other, like I said earlier, I find that um, bitches can be a bit softer. Um, so you just got to take a bit, little bit more time, maybe you know, just be a bit more gentle with them. Um, dogs tend to, or my type of dogs, they tend to sort of, you know, take a bit of harassment and that sort of stuff. They don't worry about it. 
um, you know, they get the message, but yeah, they won't turn around and go, I'm not working for you for the rest of the day. Yeah. So yeah, look, bitches, dogs, half a dozen, it's all in the attitude of the dog. And bitches are or can be a little bit slow to mature. Another question here from Brett Medway. Do you think that we have lost a lot of the old instinctive bloodline like the Hortons blood, such as Mr. or Squire? Um, look, I don't think we haven't lost it as such because it is there, like a lot of the dogs when you go back through it, but um, we haven't lost it. It is still there. But obviously those blokes that bred those dogs, Hortons and Phil's Creek and those fellas, you know, they're not doing it anymore. So obviously that, you know, that name in the dog or that pedigree is going to dilute over years. Um, so, yeah, we've definitely lost it. It's diluted but it's, um, it hasn't disappeared. It is still there if you want to look for it, yeah. And we've talked a bit about starting um, pups today, but do you have a particular, um, what do you like to start your dogs on? Do you have a particular um, flavour of sheep? Or... Oh, no, nah, not really. I mean, <laughs> I like the chocolate-flavoured ones. But no, <laughs> um, nah, look, it doesn't matter. I mean, I like to use probably... Um, either younger sheep on little pups, something that's not too aggressive. Um, I wouldn't start the pups off on crossbred ewes or composites, especially when they're eight, nine weeks old. I mean, because those old girls tend to want to um, yeah, deal with them pretty quick. So you can ruin a pup if it gets hit hard enough when it's little. Um, so, yeah, I like you know, merino weather lambs or some young merino ewes or you know any type of young crossbred lamb. They're pretty good. Like your first cross, not so much your second cross because they're a bit more running, tend to take a few fences out on their way. But, um, yeah, so you want something that's just basically soft enough, those pups to be able to handle and, and also work down enough by another dog. Don't go and put your, your little pups in on six fresh sheep that have never seen a dog before because we all know what's going to happen. It's going to be, you know, you're going to have sheep peeling off fences everywhere. So, Work them down a bit with an older dog if you've got one. Get them a little bit quieter and then introduce them to the pups so it's not a big shock for the pup and the dog. Do you, the have, yep. do you have a particular environment or setup where you like to start well, Yeah, look, I have. I personally have. Um, I've got a little set of yards, only because I'm too lazy to take them all up to the shearing shed. <laughs> I've got a little set of yards not far from the house so I can go and get the pups or dogs out of the pen and I can work run round in a, like a holding yard with a little race in it for, you know, 15, 10, 15 minutes and then put it back and go and get another one. But um, if I had to drive, the yards are about a K up the hill and if I had to pack them all in the back of the bike and tie them all up and take them up there and do all that, I'd probably be a bit slack and wouldn't do it that much. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so in, in saying that, when your dogs get older, do you do most of your training on the job or do you still set time aside to train? Uh, no, I don't train older dogs much at all um once they get to two-year-old like really i mean lost him again yeah no doubt he'll be back in the next 15 to 20 seconds keep your questions coming guys had some great questions tonight Remember the bag of Enduro Plus coming out to whoever Mick picks the has the best question. All back. Gotcha. 
yeah all good so where were we um older, older dogs yeah, training oh, yeah, yeah training um look yeah older dogs younger dogs yeah look i mean really once they get to two-year-old basically they've learned everything i'm going to be able to teach them i mean yeah they always learn they say old dogs that can't treat what is it can't teach new tricks to old, old dogs, dogs don't, can't yeah <laughs> can't teach an old dog new tricks yeah that's it close enough yeah. and, that's a load of baloney too because you can teach old dogs anything if you wanted but um yeah so yeah look it's um yeah it doesn't really matter about age i did a school over in europe years ago and the lady turned up with a dog that was nine year old and she was a search and rescue dog for sniffing out people in uh, avalanches yeah and she rocked up to the clinic and she said to me i want to get see if my kelpie will work and I said, oh, right, how old is it? She said, nine years old. She, I said to her, has ever seen a sheep before? She said, no, I've never seen a sheep in its life. And I thought, holy hell, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Anyhow, the time she left after the two-day course, she was in tears because we had the dog casting out the paddock, backing up the race, and um, she was just yeah, beside herself. She loved it. So you can definitely teach old dogs new tricks. Yeah. Mate, um, interesting there, you mentioned a race. Mate, what's your preference for working a race um, at home? Do you work a race on the side or do you have your dog in the race all the time? No, no, I'll do both. Um, I'll take all these young dogs I've taught, I will buy one, to jump out and work the outside of the race, like come out of the back force, um, bark up and down the outside. And then what I tend to do, because when I'm drenching, I've got a pretty bad back, so I don't do a lot of drenching anymore. But like we tend to we work the outside up tight. And then the last last thing we do, send the dog up the front of the race on the outside, tell them to get in, and then they'll come back through them and pack them up really tight. So yeah. then you're not having to lift heads or do all that sort of stuff. You're not putting them in so they're on top of one another, but they're just nice and tight and easy to handle. So, yeah, look, if I'm drafting, same deal. I'll very rarely bring them up the outside if I'm drafting. I'll call them up over the top. So they come up the top and drop in, go back through them and all that type of thing, yeah. Yeah, and that's just a bit of good stockmanship as well, right? Well, it is. A lot of stuff is good stockmanship. I mean, one thing I will say is um, to all those people out there that are thinking about trialling or aren't trialling or whatever, I mean, when you're working at home in the yards and you're doing station work, you're working at home in the yards and you're doing station work. You're not trialling. So don't get wrapped up in the idea that every bit of sheep work you've got to do has got to be like a dog trial. Because um, we all fall into that trap. We all think it's really good. But in the long run, it does more harm than good. So, yeah, leave your trialling for your trialling. When you're training your dogs, you're not trialling your dogs. You're training your dogs. A lot of people think they've got to train their dogs like a dog trial and they can't move and they can't do this and they can't do that. Forget about all that. Get in and help them. Show them. Do it. Put them in a situation where they don't want to be in. You know, make things go wrong for them so they've got to correct it. Um, yeah, I mean, poor buggers create havoc, and the dog's got to work out how to put everything back together again. Yeah, yeah so just do it that way. Yeah, it works pretty well. That's, I think that's a pretty underrated bit of advice there, mate. I, I, um, I think yeah. that go a long way if people adopt that, that method in that mind, that just that way of thinking. So, yeah, I'll look at that. I've seen two. Yeah, sorry, Daniel. I've no, seen like, two. I've raised it. Yeah. I've seen too many people 
like working stock at home and they're calling the dog up to start the one up the drafting race when they could take two steps and give it a poke themselves. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So that's all right at a trial, but it's no good at home. I mean, just step back and give it a poke and keep going. I mean, poor old dog can't do everything, so you've got to work as a team. You and the dog are team, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How important are good breaks and do you put an emphasis on your stop? Ah, uh, look, yeah, you do. You've all, if you've got a good stop on any dog, it's going to get you in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah, so I think it's pretty, pretty important to have a good stop. Um, you don't have to have a have the dog stopping and sitting and doing this and that all the time. Only when only when you've got to. I mean, if the sheep are all flowing through a gate and tell your dogs to go and sit and let it all happen, that's all, all great. You don't want a dog driving it into them while they're trying to go through a gate and you know bashing one another into the fences and rails and so yeah you do need good control on your dog for sure how do you go about putting a stop on a dog i'm probably the slackest person in the world <laughs> um, oh basil never sat till he was seven um, <laughs> because i don't talk to the dogs a lot um i tend to put a stop on them in gateways when they're younger um, as the last lot of sheep go through the gate, I'll be standing at the gate because um, I'm always on the opposite end of where the dog is. And when they go to rush through the gate, I'll pull them up there and I'll teach them to sit. I'll teach them to sit away from stock as well, like in the training yards. Um, there's all sorts of different methods you can do, but the main one is if you just sort of you know, stand there and walk at the dog um, and get it to submit. And um, you, know, you can either push him down to the ground and say sit. So be smart enough you're cotton on pretty quick but um yeah look there's all sorts of different ways you can teach a dog to sit but sitting to, oh, i'm probably bad sitting is not the most important thing to me i mean there's, if they stop there and they stay there or you say you know go on out get out you know have a rest and they just back off and just leave things alone they don't have to be sitting there and looking pretty and as long as they you know as long as they release the pressure off the stock that's the most important thing. What do you believe is your most important command to teach any dog? Uh, your left and your right sides, without a shadow of a doubt. Yep. Um, if you've got a, like a good left, a left command, good right command, and also a command to get off its stock and come to you. And, I mean, they're the three most important things. If my commands are come around and go back, um, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in the paddock, whether you're in the sheep yards, whether you're in the shearing shed, if you can get your dog to go left to where you want it to, and like we said, stop it and get it to bark or whatever, or go right, it's the only way to go. I mean, you can put a dog anywhere you want it. And yeah. um, and it's, it takes all the confusion away from the dog. The days of yelling out, go back at everything, waving your arms around, yeah, that's probably, you know, they're long gone now. It'd be a long day. Would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Mark England's just asked, any tips on teaching a recall or a call? A recall? Uh, wear them out. They come really easily then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't take a young dog out into a situation and when it really wants to work and then just expect it to come straight off its sheep. I mean, you've got to let them work, let them get a bit of that gas out of themselves and then start thinking about your recall. 
don't just go out and say, go back and inspect it, come here. It's, it's just pointless. So let them work the gas out, give them a bit of, let them do it, let them get a bit worn out. And look, recall is not a big deal because as they mature, um, as they get older, I'm talking sort of 10 months, 12 months, it starts to come naturally then because, you know, but when they're little fellas, a lot of people try to call them off stock and bring them to them and sit them at their feet and all that stuff. Um, yeah, that's the least of my problems. I'd rather see them out there working. If I've got to chase one to catch it, not that I can run real fast anymore, <laughs> but if I've got to go, I'd rather go and have to catch a pup and stop it than I would a pup that just comes off their stock really easily. Yeah. Um, do you want to go to the one from Tracy? Yeah. Tracy Huxbulls asks, do you make your dogs stay off stock when training them or do you not worry about how close each dog's distance is on stock? Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, using, uh, getting your dog to stay out off them, um, obviously I look for the dog that's got that natural distance that'll come in when it has to. I don't really like dogs that are up there clacker and going 100 mile an hour back and forth that much. So I want a dog that'll, um, you know, basically has got that natural instinct in it to, you know, to arc out and keep off its stock if it will. But um, yeah, look, I don't really have a big deal. It's all different dogs got different personalities, and by looking at a dog, you can tell damn well that, you know, you know through your breeding and your bloodlines that that dog, the time it's 12, 14 months old, is going to be further out off its sheep. Yeah. Um, I don't like. I personally don't like a dog that, when it's a little pup, that'll stay right out off its sheep um, and look a million dollars when it's, you know, five months old. I like a pup that wants to go out, kick out, break out, get there, come in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's they're the ones I find the most useful to me anyway. Something that always wants to be forward moving. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the whole, whole idea. You have to have sheep coming forward and... Especially when you you, you you know you know you're dealing with thousands of sheep a day, so you want to be you've got to get the job done. So there's no point of being out there looking at it and you jumping up and down doing the work. So yeah. Um, Damon Hunts asked, "What key characteristics do you require in a dog to take to a trial?" Um, the same characteristics that I look for. For a good dog at home, um, they've basically got to be, yeah, they've got to be intelligent, they have to be a biddable, you know, and they have to be keen to get on with the job. Um, I've never, I've had some really good, a few really good trial dogs in the day, and I've sold them because they don't suit me at home. So any dog I've got here will hopefully do both. Yeah. So was that. If they can't, if they can't do both, well, I'd probably pass it on to the next person that may want a dog. But I mean, I've had some cracking dogs that have cast a million miles up around the paddock, but they're so impractical, it's not funny. So, yeah, yeah. So I mean, basically, yeah, the instinct for trialing is just sheer workability and want to get on with the job and just get it done. Yeah. And while we're on trialing, mate, how long have you been trialing now? Yeah, 30 years now, I think it might be, yeah, yeah, 30 years this year, actually. It started in 1991, so going on 32 years. Yes. Um, yeah, so fair while. <laughs> and and how that kick off for you? 
Yeah, look, yeah. Well, when I first got invited to go to a trial, it was from our local shearing contractor. <laughs> and we used to have a bro property on the Wallandilly River that was really steep. And he said to me, he said, you must have good dogs. He said, you must all that country down there. He said, you know, and seen him in the yards come into the local trial. That's how I got started. And me and a mate went in there and first trial I ever did, I think I got second or third or something in the novice and won the local. No, I got equal first in the local. And then I thought, oh, this is good. So away I went. Yeah, so, yeah, the first Open I ever won was the state championships over at Bathurst, so that was a bit of an eye-opener for me, so, yeah. It was, why do you um, trial? Beg yours? Why do you trial? Why do I trial? I enjoy the mateship. Um, I like to get the dogs out there so people can have a look at them that don't know me, or I, I enjoy the challenge, um, and I enjoy the mateship mainly. I mean, getting around and talking to people similar to what you're doing, you've got the same interests, good for a laugh. I mean, you don't. It's you're not playing for sheep, sheep stations, so you don't win it. It's tough, Teddy. I mean, <laughs> get on with it, go to the next one. So, and it also travelling. I mean, it's got me around the country a lot um, over the years. It's taken me overseas um, on a number of several occasions. I mean, wow, what more could you wish for, really? I mean, it's a uh, yeah, it's just fun. I just enjoy it. And we mentioned earlier about, you know, you mentioned about saving points uh, in trials. Do you believe that um, trials still simulate a real work scenario? Um, look, I'll be 100% honest with you. No, I don't. Um, certain trials, and it's got a lot to do with a number of different factors. Um, a lot of trials these days, you go out there and you try and save your points because most of the time, let's face it, you've got to have a 95 or 60 and get in the final these days. So you go out there and you try and lose as least amount of points as possible. And, I mean, back when I started, you get in the final with an 86 or an 87, and if the sheep started to slow down up in the draft or something, hey, presto, what would you do? Yeah, you bring the dog up straight away without even hesitating. Nowadays, you see people stand there and they go, oh, shit, I think they're going to come. Well, just give them a bit longer, you know, a few seconds here and there and, but, you know, back in the day, you just say, here, come here, and they just fly up. And you didn't get docked for overworking as much. Yeah. Um, things were still tidy. You didn't have sheep banging into fences or doing all that sort of stuff. It wasn't rough and all that, but I think you just had more work involved in it. And the fact that merino weathers these days are a bit of a rare commodity. Um, we used to work a lot of big merino weathers at trials. Um, they're a lot tougher than what most of the sheep are these days. And, um, yeah, it was more of a case of get in and do it and show your dog off for what it can do and come out with a reasonable score and hopefully get in the final. But these days you go out and I, I, I do it myself. If I go into a trial, I think, oh, God, why do that? Because I don't want to lose a point for doing it because it'll put me out of the final. So um, it's got to do with the sheep, the judging, and also a lot to do with a lot of the setups too. Yeah. If you could make... Um, a change to trialing as we know it today, what would that be and why? Um, <clears throat> less talk, more work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you see the trialing people these days and so many commands and just, yeah, the dogs are going back and forth and sideways and sit on a five-cent piece. And, I mean, 
it's all good. It's their tricks is what they are. They're doing tricks with their dogs, and those tricks are making the sheep flow. So it's not, you know, a lot of the time the dog isn't doing much itself. So I'd like to see, and I don't know how we're going to do it, but I'd like to see a lot of uh, trials bring back that more natural work and that ability to be able to, you know, move sheep without being told every move they've got to make. Yeah, and do you have a favourite trial or one you'd like to participate in and haven't yet? Oh, look, no, I haven't. There's most, I've been most places over the years. Um, I've always used to love going to Bathurst because it was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Merino weathers and, you know, you get stuck in there and there's plenty of competition. So that was always, I've always seemed to do pretty well down there in the past. But, um, yeah, look, I don't care. I like all trials. doesn't matter where they are, what they are. So, and, uh, yeah, meet different people at every one of them. So it's all good fun. Absolutely. In your travels throughout yeah. um, Australia, is there something that you've seen handlers struggle with and where do you believe they can improve? Um, probably the biggest thing these days is with a lot of handlers because uh, there's a lot of... Uh, what let's say greenhorns involved in the game these days is yeah. people reading, learning how to read their stock properly. It's not all about, you know, the dog and the person that both of you, they've got to learn to read your stock. And yeah, that skill probably has deteriorated over the years. And um, yeah. And when like, when I hold it, when I went overseas, I used to go over and train the people how to train their dogs. I didn't go over there to train their dogs. So whatever I did for them, they could take home and use it. I could go and work their dog for half an hour and take it home and be the same dog as it was yesterday. But because I've trained them to work their dogs, you know, it's you train them how to train dogs rather yeah. than train dogs. Yeah, if that makes yeah. sense. Absolutely, mate. We've got another flurry of questions here, so we might ask a few of these. Yeah, um, you're right. One with the... Um, Couple of dogs you have had that have been so influential. Um, this one actually interests me a lot. Um, I've got my glasses. That's all right. <laughs> Kane Gardner's asks the topic of collecting semen from dogs has come up a few times on Dog Talk. Some people have said that they have collected from their dogs to use later on when they are gone, and others have said if you have a good breeding program, you shouldn't have to use the old line, um, old dogs, and. Um, what are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. Collected from your dogs or? Yeah, look, no, I never have. Um, yes. I've had a lot of people ask me <laughs> that question and they go, oh, how come he didn't collect from Buster or Basil or whatever? And look, I agree with the second part of that question. It's, it's a good question, actually, because, I mean, if you can't, over 30 odd years, sustain your level of production or your standards in dogs um, and keep it ticking on, um, I've been very fortunate that I've had a lot of good dogs over the years and a lot of them are related to one another and that mine has kept ticking along for me and I haven't had... Lost him again. No. <laughs> well, I've had a good run then that time, though. Yeah. It's gone for a while. It's gone good. <laughs> Should be back soon. Yeah. A few more. Like great. 
Kara um, reception. Check in. It, it must be a Kara thing, mate. Because we've spoken to a couple of people in Kara, and um, it's very patchy. That is pretty patchy, yeah. Yeah, but we got NBN off the satellite and full service on the office, so uh, blood of honor. I haven't cut out this end yet, so anyway, all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so where were we? Um, oh, um, yeah, you said you hadn't collected, collected you hadn't collected from your dogs. No, I haven't, and I must have been, I believe in, um, I do, yeah, a lot of people have asked me that, and I just think that. You know, if you've got to go back to dogs you had 20 or 30 years ago, I mean, it's great that you can, but it takes the novelty out of it a bit. And, I mean, your lines aren't going to get better if you keep going back to the original sort of thing. So you've got to mix it up. But I've bred a lot of dogs. I've actually started – I've gone back to my old lines that I've had for a number of years. And, um, yeah, over the last couple of years to get what I want. And it's worked very well for me, so I'm lucky. I've still got those old lines floating around. Away from um, Buster and Basil, we've got a question here from um, Trevor Chown. Yep. How, how did you rate um, Jindara Boss and Marabou Jimmy? Um, yeah, I can be completely honest with you there. I mean, I won the Australian Championships with Jimmy out at West Wyalong and I sold him two weeks later. <laughs> so that answers that question. He was... <laughs> He was a good dog. He had a bit of an attitude problem. Um, he ended up going to a bloke that had 20-odd thousand, 30,000 sheep. His work was no problems whatsoever, but he wasn't a dog that would um, give all when you really asked for it. He'd sort of do it on his own terms. Yep. Um, Jendara Boss, obviously I didn't rate him that highly because I sold him. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was a good dog. He went to a drover down at Hay um, and a bloke that had a stud down there. Very arrogant dog, very headstrong, ton of work in him. Don't worry about that, ton of work. Um, but, yeah, you had to be fairly solid to get on with him pretty well. So, yeah, they were dogs that were – they bred some nice dogs, no doubt about it. But, um, yeah, they weren't my sort of dogs. That's why I got decided to let them go. Never mind. No reason. And um, Mark Mangold has asked, would you like to see a section of a trial – to be done with no commands given? Yeah, probably it'd be a great idea. I'd say we had a crack at it out at Geary there a couple of years ago. It was quite funny, actually. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like the, the main main thing is your pickup. Like your first pickup, if you open a gate and then cast your dog, surely your dog's got to know to bring them to you and put them in that gate. I mean, that's just basics, the law of principle, you know, cast, lift and draw. So, I mean, if any places is, would be on your pickup, you know, you're drenching your drafts and all that sort of stuff. I know my dogs will do it automatically because they just do it. But, I mean, yeah, I don't expect people not to talk to them in those situations. What advice would you give to someone that wanted to, that was starting out and wanted to pursue a career in the livestock industry and working dogs? Um, great time to do it. Like the agricultural industry's facing a really, I think, it's going to be facing a real boom over the next probably 40 or 50 years. I mean, there's a lot of good money in it now for people that are working and wanted to pursue, a, like, you know, a job in livestock. Um, yeah, and it's, it's going places and it's going to be, and it's getting harder and harder and harder, as I know, to get good stockmen. 
and people that are prepared to work. And a lot of people don't like the livestock industry because they've got to get their hands dirty and they're not sitting in the air conditioner swinging off a steering wheel. And I mean, yeah. that, that's why livestock are becoming, um, you know, a more profitable enterprise to have is because if, if you've got a good heart and you can put your head down and work in the heat and the cold and all the rest of it, go for it because, you know, you can go a long way in this industry now and you can climb the ladder and become management material and, you know, learn from the right people and, yeah, you'll go a long way and you'll do well. And there is good money in it, like I said, and a very good lifestyle if you like that outdoorsy lifestyle. <laughs> and anyone that is thinking of kicking off and might need a, a dog to fulfil their work requirements, what advice would you give to someone looking for their first dog or a pup? Uh, look, if they're looking, if they're kicking off, um, get out and have a look and try and buy you something. So it might cost a few more bucks. I know dogs are becoming very expensive these days, so it's hard for those young blokes to, you know, spend all that money on a dog. But if they can get something that's started, um, that is showing a bit of good work, so they can go and have a look at it. Um, you can buy a lot of pups these days and, you know, don't want to be rude, but 12 months later still have nothing. Yeah. So go to a reputable breeder um, that's breeding dogs for farm work, station work. So, you know, they're breeding working dogs. Um, and make sure you always look at the parents' work. Don't just go and buy a pup off hearsay because this one's meant to be good or that one. You want to go to the bloke's place and spend the time. It might be a whole day. Drive out there, spend the time with the person, have a look at their dog's work. Yeah, if their mum and dad have got the goods, well, nine times out of ten, the pup will be right too. And you mentioned there that the price of dogs have gone up, mate. What's what's your take on that? About time or? Yeah, look, it is, but I must admit <clears throat> it's got – it is about time and it's all great to get that sort of money for dogs like oh, – Look, I sold one for 25 grand here the other day privately. Yeah. And, I mean, he's a four-year-old dog. And, I mean, the bloke was desperate. He wasn't desperate. He already had five of my other dogs. But he wanted him right or wrong, and he wouldn't leave me alone, so I sold him. I mean, and to me, that is a lot of money. Yeah, and it. it's just making it hard for young people that want to get into the game. They don't want to be paying that sort of money. Um, but as far as the dog auctions are concerned, I mean... I watched the Chirildry dog auction online the other day, the demos, and I'm not picking on names or anything, but there were some pretty ordinary dogs down there and they made bloody good money. So, um, yeah, I mean, I hope it doesn't come back and bite us on the arse later on down the track. Um, these people getting dogs home and thinking, oh, shit, what have I got? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's the auction system. So, yeah, you play the game, you've got to wear it. Absolutely. Away from dogs, do you have a hobby or talent that most people wouldn't know about? Oh, very good singer. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, uh, look, I've got lots. Yeah, I've got lots of hobbies. I love, <clears throat> as you probably see on the Facebook page, I love my fishing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just good fun outdoors again. I mean, travel over New Zealand, those places. I uh, love my hunting. Yeah, used to do a lot of hunting out west. Yeah, pig shooting and all that sort of stuff, but don't do much of that anymore because of my back. Um, yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I love going beach fishing down the coast or squid fishing off the rocks or doing all that sort of stuff and travelling around and looking at things, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not bored. I've got plenty of things to do. I've seen a photo of a couple of those fish you caught there, mate. You might have to run a tape over some of them, I think. 
And I just yeah, you don't have sure to <laughs> one nearly pulled me out of the boat one day. <laughs> um, and mate, obviously we know you um, you know don't use technology all too much um, and relatively new to the dog talk system, but is there anything yeah. that you think that we could do um, to help the community along with the with what we have here? I think you've got a great platform there. Um, I think given time and um, yeah, a bit of perseverance, it'll all really kick into play. And I mean, what you're doing is, you know, you're talking to people, you know, young and old and in the middle. And um, yeah, it's great. I mean, I think it's going to give people a, something to uh, listen to. And yeah, and yeah, they can work out the bullshit from the truth. <laughs> and, and you know, it's certainly gone a long way. And it's something that's new. And I think it's, uh, I think it's a great idea what you're doing. Is there anyone you'd like to see you sit down with for a chat? Ah, uh, yeah, old Pip Hudson. Have you done old Pip yet? No, no, that's he's definitely he's on the list. A, yeah, look, he's a. I don't know how his health is going, and all I noticed he's entered into the Geary cattle dog trial and stuff this weekend sure. or whatever it was. Right there, I think. So he is a legend in himself. Um, yeah, I, mean, I know he's into three sheep trials and that, but he's just a very good bloke to listen to talk to wealth of knowledge mate and see if we can have his i think it's yeah, a, we just lost him oh no good what have we done pip's got one of those musical things <laughs> that go up and down with the piano things on it he's an entertainer if there ever was one can he sing as well uh, i haven't heard him sing but uh we'll ask me what he does yeah. Back <laughs> <down here. laughs> yeah, so talk talking about those people try and try and get those people that i don't want to be rude but try and get those people that won't be around a lot longer yeah um, get in and talk to them and hear their stories and you know and buddy and listen because a lot of them have got a lot of wisdom an old bloke told me once just a tip for everybody out there dog trialing is he came up to me and he said boy he said i'll tell you one thing when you're trialing i said what's that he said never change the way you work your dog he said, night, he said, might work for you a couple of times, but he said nine times or eight times out of ten, he said it'll pay off. So he said, don't look at Michael Johnston the way he works his dog and think you're going to jump the fence and go in and do it that way. Yeah. He said, work, be consistent and work your dog the same way all the time. And, yeah, that, that went a long way with me. Yeah. Good advice, mate. And Billy, Billy Luff's another one. Yeah, we actually spoke with Billy. That yep. was a... That, that was a fantastic talk as well, Nate. Um, yeah, Nate, yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah that was great. Yep. You'll have yeah. to jump on and listen to a few of them, mate. Spotify. I have to. I've got plenty of excuses now, married at first sight's on. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely. I'm not going to ask you. Hey? Not, gonna, not even going to get started on that. But we've, uh, we've got that point of the night. Was there a question that stood out for you tonight, mate? And uh, that person or that viewer will win a bag of Enduro Plus working dog? Um, uh, yeah, look, I think the question of um, dogs' eye colour and colour in moving stock was a very good question. I don't know <laughs> that one forward, but I can't yeah, remember. Sorry? Go. Yeah, that, that question to me about the colour of a dog you know, if it, the colour helps the dog's presence and all that type of thing. I think, you know, that is a good question. A lot of people 
wonder. And, you know, they say to the colour of a dog, overheat. That's a fallacy that's been out there for a long time. And, I mean, whoever asked that question, that would be the question I'd uh, say would be the a good, well, a good question to ask and clear up. Oh, that was Maddie Haig. So if you want to pop us a message through with your details and we will pass them on to Enduro. Good on you, Maddie. Maggie Enduro's um, Working Dog Plus coming your way. Good stuff. We'd like to thank all of our members for tuning in tonight and, of course, you, Michael, for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks, That's mate. Great. Before you go, one more question. Yep. Would you rather fight a duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Would I rather fight a duck? The size of a horse. The size of a horse or 20 horses the horses. size of a duck? Yeah, I'll take the 20. <laughs> Why the 20? Well, 20 little things versus one big thing. Not <laughs> <laughs> <Hot> safer. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, mate, thank you very much for your time. And as Laura said, thank you to everyone out there tonight for tuning in. No, Please remember good. we learn every day and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Exactly, yep. There's no doubt about it. So no, good to be here and hope everybody, wish everybody the best. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Righto. See you later. See, See you. Mate. Bye.